You're listening to the one of us.net podcast network. One of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads, but on a case by case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at one of us net at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage one of us.net and sign up for a subscription at two, five, ten, or twenty five dollars and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. This movie review also comes for subscribers at Time Lord level or above an uncut, unedited, longer video version of the review. Become a subscriber and check it out. Hungry for adventure? Then travel to a la carte, the charming land below the floating city of heavenly delight, and join the young cook ramen for her daily dose of wacky hijinks in the new series Delicious! With a cast of eccentric, strong female characters, this wonderfully illustrated comedy comic will be out in July, but you can pre-order now by clicking the banner on the page for this podcast. Get the limited hardcover first edition, plus free stickers and an art print as a gift. Wow, stickers! A perfect gift for your child, or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. get so anxious whenever one of my favorite comic books or books gets adapted for the screen. I mean, I'm always a little less nervous if it's a television show because you have a long running thing and you try to make it a two hour movie. I mean, how often does that even really work? But a comic book, especially long running thing, adapt it into another long running form. Yes, there's going to have to be changes, of course, because a comic, despite being a visual medium as well, is not the same type of visual medium storytelling as television is. So when they decided they were going to do really one of my favorite comics of the last decade, Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth, initially excited, (laughs) and then, oh God, how are they going to do that? How are they going to fuck it up? (laughs) Here's the thing, Harmony, Sweet Tooth, while it's glorious, it's written and drawn by Lemire in in a very distinctive, distorted style, is not a happy thing. <laughs> it's the road, but with animal-human hybrids, basically. <laughs> it is a About as bleak and dark as you can get with moments of really wonderful lightness and insight inside of it. What did I do? I signed up for the television series of this. I'm already kind of depressed. What was I thinking? Well, here's the thing. Netflix's adaptation of Sweet Tooth, which they have gotten a director I'm a big fan of, Jim Mickle, who did the great movies Cold in July, We Are What We Are, Mulberry Street, and Stakeland. He wouldn't have been the guy I would have thought of for this. But possibly good. Doesn't really seem like it's up his alley as much as there's horror elements here. But sure, that's promising. And then they kind of said, let's just not make it anywhere near that dark. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess I was a little mad at first. But as it went along, I was like, you know what? You guys totally made the right call. (laughs) Anyway, we are here to review Sweet Tooth, the first season on Netflix. I am Chris and joining me is fully vaccinated Jordan. This shit is some real business. So serious and creepy. Cat person Harmony. Hello, meow. Wait, oh, here's my license and registration. And all aboard Bob Garza. Hi, everybody. 
I have his trading card. Sweet Tooth, a surprisingly large amount of changes from the book, but we'll just kind of focus for now on what we have here as opposed to talking about the differences. It starts with a little boy named Gus, and he's no normal little boy. He has antlers and deer ears. He's apparently part human, part animal, and he lives out in the woods with his, uh, well, dad, we'll say for now. Hubba, played by the wonderful Will Forte, who's one of those great comedians who's discovered, hey, I'm actually pretty good at drama. I should start doing more of this, and is definitely playing more of a dramatic role here. He's raising him in a cabin in the middle of Yellowstone National Park with gates he's put up all around it because there was a virus that came and created a plague and killed the majority of humans. They call it the Great Crumble. And... At the same time the virus came out, suddenly people stopped having human babies. Instead, when they had babies, they would be hybrids, part human, part animal, of all different types of animals. People decided that this must be connected, and so basically hunt and kill all of these children. A lot of them are just very, very, very young, and this keeps happening. Anybody gets pregnant, they're gonna have a hybrid baby. But he's like telling the kid, look, we can never leave, you can never talk to people. And of course, shit eventually goes wrong. And he has to leave. <laughs> Papa gets sick, and... Poor Gus is left all on his own. Some humans come to try and hunt and and take him. But he's lucky in that a wandering traveler, played by the wonderful, I love Nonzo Anonzi. He's like one of those actors you just want to give him a big bear hug when you see him, right? He plays Tommy Jeopard. He's a very large man. (laughs) And he takes out the poachers and half-acidly ends up agreeing to go with Gus on a journey to find the person he's just kind of assuming is his mother from what Bubba had told him. All he has is a picture to go with and know she's in Colorado somewhere. Tommy wants really, or just Jap, as they call him here. He doesn't want anything to do with this. He's very cynical. He's kind of like, oh, what am I doing? And he keeps doing the right thing and going, why did I do that? (laughs) But reluctantly, he comes to care for the boy. We meet a series of other characters along the way as the series goes on, including a animal army of teenagers that hate adults and are just trying to protect the hybrids, especially the lead of this group, Bear, played by Stefania Levy Owen, who was actually not a character at all in the comic books. Like, there was an animal army, but they were not at all like this. They were like terrible, cannibal, crazy people. And not just hyped up sugar children. Okay. No, no. The, the book is a lot darker. It was pretty much feral rabbit dog hybrids in the comic. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of glad that's not here. <laughs> but then we also follow a character from the comic that really doesn't have a backstory in the books, but he's one of the third of the three stories that are sort of being told here. Adil Akhtar playing Dr. Aditya Singh and his wife. He's a doctor. His wife is very, very sick with the virus, but he's managed to find something with the help of someone else that if he injects her with it like once a month, it holds off the virus. And he's this is the only person in the world who is getting this. And we see what's going on with his story in the community he lives in that literally when they find anyone is infected, which you can tell because their little fingers start shaking, they just kill them. They burn their house down. They're like, wow, okay, that seems a little extreme. It's very weird. Bad neighborhood. Bad HOA. Yeah, it's a terrible HOA rule. I mean, I thought it was bad when they just told me I had to use my weed trimmer around my mailbox or I was going to get in trouble. But Jesus Christ. The third main story is with Amy Eden, played by Dania Ramirez, who we see was a therapist, but she did like everybody else did. She just kind of sheltered when all this hit. 
And she kind of hid in her office for a while until the city was pretty empty. And she kind of wandered into the zoo, which somebody had released the bulk of the creatures out just into the wild and decided, I'm going to live here now. (laughs) And somebody leaves a hybrid baby in front of the place, a little pig girl who she takes in. Wendy is her name and raises her as her own child, eventually leading to a situation where more hybrids start becoming attracted to that place. And it becomes known as the preserve, which in the book, is often referred to, but it's never confirmed it even exists. So Amy is not even a character in the books at all, although presumption is that she is going to take over the role to some part of a character that came in later in the books called Lucy, but we just don't know. It's mainly stuff from like the first trade, but it's also kind of grabbed some stuff from others. And like I said, a large amount of this is totally new to this TV series. The books make it look like the road, like blasted browns and reds. And this is vibrant and colorful. I mean, there's this thing where... When people say the sick is coming, places bloom with flowers as a warning. And you're like, yeah, that was, I don't remember that from the book. <laughs> <laughs> but I did think this ended up being pretty charming overall. I mean, yes, it does a thing that I think they could have done better when we start seeing more of the hybrids. They kind of just look like kids wearing really cheap Halloween makeup on the whole. It's not great practical effects. When they have to go CG, it's not really great CG effects either. This is a storytelling thing and not really an effects-driven thing. I mean, that's kind of a minor quibble with this so far. And I think overall, with all the changes, with the serious lightening of the tale, they made this whole thing pretty damn charming. Yeah, even with its um, almost uncomfortable correlation with like COVID and, and going through all that, well worth watching. It's very charming. It's very sweet. I decided to reread all of Sweet Tooth. It is night and day with comic and the show, but I also actually think that really complements each other in a lot of ways. There is maybe some darker elements I wouldn't have put in the show, like those feral hyenas, basically. And also that in the the book, Jeopard is very quickly revealed to be straight up a villain, a bad guy, who makes some terrible decisions and ends up regretting it and trying to fix it. And it's so dark that... I don't think it would have worked in a live-action medium. I liked Gus, but for me, Jeopard was the most compelling character in Sweet Tooth in both the comics and the show. Because in the comics, yeah, there is a twisted irony to his involvement. But on the TV show, I absolutely love where it's coming from. Especially because of Nazoa Azoni, who is just fucking perfect. He is absolutely tremendous. And I actually like the small changes they make with his story. He, he He's able to play that range of, I'm a big dude, I'm a bad motherfucker, and I'm going to take you out, but also a bit of a gentle giant. Kind of a haunted, earnest person. There's a lot to his backstory that is kind of alluded to and is never fully explained, which I think is probably for the best (laughs) right now. Because everyone in here has... A rather extreme position they've taken and made some extreme choices one way or the other. And by the end of this first season, you really kind of understand why everyone has made the choices they made, as inevitably, almost in Lost style, we go back and see the earlier stories of these people, and they do it in such an organic way, in such a believable way, that you you really do believe they've become the person they be- they've become and why they are making the choices that they are. Cool to hear you guys, especially that are familiar with the material. I didn't really get into comics till a couple summers ago, so this is one on a list that I haven't got to, but I think this was a great swing for Netflix at a long-term adaption. If we got the version you guys are describing, that might work on like HBO or something like that, go full dark, 
But then is it going to be supported for a long time? Probably not. So I like that we're getting this story. The heart part of it, I assume, translates. I really like the story. I like the bigger arching things that they hinted at. One thing I was a little worried about about halfway through was how much we were going to get in this season. But I have to say, I was very satisfied by the end of the eight episodes. This was a great tee-off for something I hope that they're going to keep going with. I actually do hope there's another season, because I really do like where the season leaves off. Some problems, yeah, some of the CGI just didn't quite hit. Abbott, the main antagonist of the story. I know we haven't gotten much of him, and I do like what we get, but one thing I'm glad is that hopefully he is not as sadistic as he was in the comics, because that would contrast vastly. I kind of have a feeling he is. (laughs) He's played by Neil Sandilands, who largely just plays villains because he's really good at it. Well, he looks like if Dr. Robotnik went through the plague. (laughs) Uh, Am I wrong? He looks just like it. You're like, oh man, Dr. Robotnik at all. A slightly less steampunk Robotnik. Now that you said it, I can't unsee it. So far, in many ways, he's actually the most accurate character to the comics. There's more of an exploration in there of sort of his incompetent brother who keeps fucking things up. And there's a character in here that they haven't established a relationship, but he's the only other member of his, like, army that seems to be defined as a character and clearly isn't exactly on the same page with him. So I assume that rather than making him incompetent, we're making him slightly more compassionate. I mean, yeah, and I do like who they cast because you mentioned he plays villains well i mean he was the thinker on the flash i liked him there but i actually do think he's more suited for the role of abbott and i really do like his Patton moment as it were in the finale and the addition of the amy character i actually quite liked it that character was just immensely fascinating unexpectedly james brolin is now in my top 10 of i would like them to narrate my life right it's not sam elliott but it's pretty good <laughs> How is this not Sam Elliott when it starts? It totally yeah. feels like he just was it like on the him. on the shitter or something when they called. I was like, yeah. oh, damn. One of my small knocks on the show is that like comparing it to like marquee, like obvious bigger drama stuff. There's some epic scene setups that I don't think are fumbled, but maybe the editing could be tighter. But mm-hmm. damn, if that narration isn't like nine and a half out of ten every time. Right. It manages to bridge the scenes where it needs to, and it's not overly obtrusive. They don't overuse it, which is often the problem yep. with things that have a narrator where they're like, we're getting away with not having to show you stuff by telling you stuff. I couldn't help but think Sam Elliott. I don't know if we're ever going to see him as a character, but he reminds me at, the, at Sam Elliott at the end of The Big Lebowski, right? Yeah. Like, he's always been watching, and he has a sort of philosophical opinion about it all. Yeah. Even though we do have an error, the show still does a lot of great visual storytelling, and also just some beautiful cinematography. Christian Convery as Gus, one of the better child performances I have honestly seen in a while. And he really got the vulnerability of Gus. We also haven't even talked about Amy Simons, who initially is playing a relatively small role as like literally a character in a photograph, who is Birdie, the woman that Gus is told is his mother. But she does, in fact, get a full portrayal in one of the later episodes. I think, oh, we've seen the last of Will Forte. Oh, but we haven't done the flashback episode, so we get to see what what happened. And that was maybe my favorite episode. It's great. It's a good episode, and it really fleshes out the human element of mass I want to say destruction, (laughs) a a horrible cataclysm, you know, 
and that it's too close to real life that it's bothering me a little bit. We've got the people in the mask because they're afraid of the virus, and we've got people who are like, oh, this is fake, and you know what's in this this stuff? This will kill you more than the virus will, and it's just some of it's a little too on the nose and too, like, with the times that we're still currently in. Basically, Dr. Singh's office, there were signs saying keep six feet apart. I was like, well, that was pretty convenient. I'm pretty sure they just took those off of catering and were like, okay, see, <laughs> all right, set decoration complete. Let's shoot this. I just thought, okay, I'm excited to finally see Sweet Tooth, but it's also like, this is the worst timing you could have. Right. Or, you know, the best, because this is a topic that, that people can relate to. Topical, that's the word. Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, this makes me, it feel more real because we went through something at least somewhat similar. Although, unfortunately, no hybrid children running around because that would have been awesome. That you know of. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're still in the early days. I hold off for cat people. It'll be fine. Um, Oh, yeah, me too. I'm for just cat people. Just cat people. Everybody else, fuck off. Do they have to be children? Can't people get the sickness become cat people? Because it seems unfair. There you go. I mean, if you can get toxic plasmosis, why can't you just become a cat person? There you go. Anyway, let's get a final thoughts. Bob, get us started. I really dug it. I like the story about the sanctuary being set up. I like the story with Gus, obviously. I like the story with moral quandary of what the doctor's doing with his wife. We don't really get it driven home until about episode seven or so that, you know, it is really light and fun, but, you know, the bad guys are killing kids. And so I'm really interested to see the tone of this carried out when we really start confronting all the horrible things that are happening happening but i really dug the ensemble i thought it was fun i thought where it was light it found creative really new ways there was a lot of cool vernacular that we haven't heard in some of these shows yet that i like was injected there and on my score hoping going forward i'm going to give it an eight and it's going to be a eight out of ten uh thank yous from the bottom of my heart as a anxious viewer for slight spoiler there's a chase scene where someone has to produce a key and it's the first one that they try. And no, right. man, did I really relish that. They didn't drop it. Man, right out of the gate. I always think of Better Off Dead with that great zoom shot. Keys! <laughs> <laughs> Harmony? I really loved watching this. Sometimes, you know, I pick shows for Screener Squad and I'm like, oh, I got to watch eight, 12 episodes of something and I'm like turning it out. I'm like, okay, we're just going to white knuckle this and watch it all. But this, I had no problem binging. I finished it in about a day and a half and was completely charmed by the kid who plays Gus and Bear and Jep. And one of my favorite moments Fat Man, the football player on mm. the train. The way they did that could have been like really hokey, <laughs> but it was really endearing. So it's really funny when Jordan was talking about horrible jackal children and furry prostitutes or whatever <laughs> in, in the comic book. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they totally changed the tone because I probably would not have enjoyed it half as much as I did. I think Gus looks amazing. They spent the money on, on him and that was well worth it. Highly recommend. I have a friend who looks like Bear and so I immediately was like, you got to watch this show. <laughs> and so i'm already telling everybody to watch it i'm gonna give it an 8.5 out of 10 candy bars what about you jordan great now i gotta think of a new thing to (laughs) (laughs) yeah i really like this it is far different in so many ways from the amazing comic it's based on but for the better and what it decides to keep it uses effectively but overall 
I did really enjoy this. I was like, you, Chris? I was like, this is absolutely one of my favorite comics. I was just thinking, how are they going to possibly get this? Right. And I think they've done a really damn good job. Performances are what really make this. The tone is just right. When it's fun, it is absolutely fun. But when it does the dramatic stuff, it hits. It hits exceptionally well. I honestly do hope this gets renewed because I really want to see how they address the darker stuff they did bring up. Because one of the last moments is the realization of how some of the experiments go. It's just like, shit. I'm going to give this eight and a half scarecrows made out of sticks. Thanks for taking the goddamn candy bars. <laughs> We need to talk about this ahead of time. More communication, guys. <laughs> no, it's more fun when somebody gets to steal someone yeah. else's. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, even yeah. I got it. You've done it to me several times, Jordan, so I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Turn about fair play, lady. <laughs> I do have problems with this. I think it's filmed in that very flat Netflix house style that they all their shows kind of look like. There's definitely a lot of stuff you can tell that we're like, okay, we shot it this way for budgetary reasons, you know? I mean, it feels reduced to some level. It's not as epic as it feels like it always should be. A lot of the CG is rough. There's a scene with like an actual tiger that looks terrible where they had to keep the tiger largely in shadow because he looked so bad. You make the zombie tiger from Army of the Dead look realistic by (laughs) comparison. (laughs) The other thing is, and this is not a problem with the show. In fact, it's a good thing for the show, but I'm sorry. I know I don't have a real problem with other people's children philosophically, but I don't particularly like being around them either because they're really annoying. I get it. They're your kids. They're your rugrats. You love them. This is the way kids act. It's totally normal. It's really obnoxious to those ones who have to deal with them just doing, don't do this. And they go run and do it. And like, ah, you're killing me over here. This is a really realistic kid of this age. Yeah. And he is charming in his way, but he also reminds me of all the times I've had to deal with other people's kids being kind of obnoxious. Like, oh, for God's sakes. So that's not a mark against the show. And like I said, it makes it more realistic. In fact, it's part of why, along with the fact that this is so lightened up from the book, this is pretty much appropriate for kids, strangely enough. They've made it where if someone wanted to watch this with their nine-year-old, I'd say, yeah, I don't really think it's, I mean, unless your kid's one of those kids who gets really sensitive to like even borderline dark stuff, because kids entertainment for the bulk of history had lots of dark shit in it. You know, go back and read Peter Pan or even the original book of Mary Poppins. Holy fuck. You know, there's some dark shit in children's entertainment. And this is lighter than a lot of that. Now, I can't promise where it's going to go from here. But I think overall, yeah, I mean, this is something I think adults could enjoy with their children as long as they're not too young or too sensitive. It is charming. The casting was super smart. And so was the idea of expanding a lot of these characters was super smart as well. So I'm overall say, while it's not fantastic, it's really damn good. Much better than I thought it was going to be. And I am going to give it eight out of 10 year olds that this is probably okay for them to watch. (laughs) I was going to say, Chris, uh, how you brought up how kids are realistic. There were a few moments with Gus where he was doing shit he shouldn't. Oh, great. That's me and my nephews. Jesus Christ, will you just stop? Somebody smack him on the muzzle with a rolled up newspaper already. Don't touch the thing. Stop touching the thing. I put Pokemon on your iPad for a reason. <laughs>